Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. It is good to be back with you. If we can, before we start, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you that you're our God. We thank you that we get to claim you as our Father, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our hope. All honor and glory is due you. Lord, we thank you that in your great wisdom, you gave us church family to hold on to one another. That you knew we would need uh, others that would encourage us in our spiritual walk, people that would pray with us, that would mourn with us when we go through difficult times, that would rejoice with us when we go through great times. Lord, we are grateful for the bond through the blood of Christ that cleanses us all. And Lord, I'm grateful to you especially for this body of Christ right here at this place. I'm grateful for the way that they welcome those who don't have a church home. I'm grateful for the way that they welcomed Melissa and I as we came in here to be part of this church family. Lord, I'm grateful for those who have been baptized into Christ here in this place. We've seen new lives uh, created here. We've seen uh, redemption. We've seen miracles happen in the way people's lives have been changed. Lord, we are so grateful for the way that we see you at work. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit that guides us, that is active and that is real and that is strong. And Lord, we, we're grateful for the way that we see you working in this whole town. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to lift up the Christians and those that claim you as Lord here in this town to reach out to those who don't know you, to bring, um, to bring hope to those that are hopeless, to bring healing to those uh, who are wounded. Lord, give us opportunities to point to you and show the world who you are. Lord, we ask also that you be with Barnett Chapel Methodist Church today uh, as one of our uh, sister congregations here in this town, of one church in town, but of many congregations. We ask that you would bless them this morning. Let the, the gospel, the truth of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ be preached there. Let them go out into the world and take that gospel with them. We ask the same for us, Lord. Change us. Make us yours, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get to it. So, uh, if you haven't been with us, we want you to know we've been going through the book of John for a while. Uh, I love the way that John looks at things. He looks at the life of Jesus. It's a different way. Uh, It is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's got a different approach to things, and I love the way that he approaches things. I love the way that he looks at what Jesus did and the parts that he pulls out, and today is going to be no different. Uh, I actually entitled this one, The Battle in the Garden, uh, and I was trying to pull a little bit from some of the famous boxing matches that happened in Madison Square Garden, you know, like the Thriller in Manila happened over in Manila or or some of these great boxing matches. This is battle time. There's a battle that's about to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to know that Jesus has been leading up to it as we've been following and watching Jesus. He has been purposefully marching towards Jerusalem to confront the leaders of the temple, the main leaders uh, of the religion. And as he's doing that, he knows what he is doing, and he knows what is coming. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look, we've spent the last several weeks in uh, what's called the Last Supper. It's five chapters. you got 13 through 17 The Last Supper, and there's so much that's said in there. John just takes all of this time and goes, these are the things that Jesus thought was important. These are the things that he wanted you to know before he left. These are the parts that make Jesus who he was, and it all has to do, as we've been going through, with spirit 
and with truth. John has this knack of grabbing things and going, beyond what you see physically, beyond what you're able to feel with your senses, there is a spiritual battle that's going on. And what Jesus is talking about is always the spiritual battle. This Last Supper, chapters 13 through 17, there was so much for him to say. And you can tell that he's building up to something, because I want you to know this is not a normal meal. Jesus dropped bombshell after bombshell at this meal. This would have been quite the stressful evening and dinner time as Jesus continued to let them know things are about to go bad. They're about to become very hard. As a matter of fact, as he mentions this, you got chapter 13 where Jesus predicts his betrayal and his betrayer as he points out Judas. That's kind of a bombshell. And then you have Peter who stands up and says, well, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus confronts him and says, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. That's a pretty awkward meal. Chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you the advocate. There's going to be a helper, but you need to know I'm going to be gone. Also hard news for them to take and understand. Chapter 15, Jesus says, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. You need to know that's hard to hear. I've, I've been in very few meals where somebody talked about how people were going to hate me. He said, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Difficult news to hear. Chapter 16, Jesus says, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. What's going to happen is when you claim me, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. Not only that, but there's going to come a time where they think that killing you is a service to God. That is very difficult to hear. There will come a time where religious people think that killing you will actually be a service to God. That is hard news to hear. Chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples now and the ones to come. He says, this is going to be hard. They're going to suffer. They're going to go through some difficult time. They're going to be hated. Lord, give them unity. Let them hold on to each other. Let them hold on to me. He's preparing them. He's preparing them. Things are about to get difficult. They're about to get hard. And he doesn't say, take that away from them. He says, let them hold on to each other. Let them hold on to me. Because things are about to get hard. And now we come to chapter 18, and they have left the meal. And they end up in a garden of all places. And they come to this place in the Garden of Gethsemane because this is what it's been leading to. Jesus has warned them. He has shown them things are about to get difficult. And then here's what happens. And so this will be our scripture reading for today. I'm going to invite Garrett, if you would, up here to read John 18, 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. 
The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Word of the Lord. Thank you for that, Garrett. So, you have Jesus who has spent this entire meal for hours probably together going, we are heading towards something that's going to be difficult. We're actually heading towards a battle. And then they leave and they come to this garden and they get to this place, and you need to know, one of the things that you see from John is this was a garden that Jesus often went to. As a matter of fact, that's how Judas knew that he would be there. Jesus often left, and he would go to this garden. He found himself in this garden often. And so Judas knew that was a place to find him. You need to know also that this is the building up. This is the people, that uh, the religious Jews at this time who have been trying to get Jesus haven't been able to do that. The religious leaders tried to arrest him at the temple, and he slipped through their hands, and he disappeared. And then you need to know the religious leaders at that time sent soldiers to go get him, and the soldiers came back and said, we didn't arrest him because nobody's ever talked like he did before. And so they came back without him. So finally what they've done is they've decided to come in the middle of the night when there are no crowds around, when nobody's able to see, when nobody may intervene, and they've decided to say, this will be the time that we take him into custody. It's not the scene that I'd always pictured, though. I want you to know there's something about the pictures that I think we'd see for a long time and the way this looked. I always kind of pictured that this is the battle between two different sort of gangs, that here's Jesus and he's got his disciples next to him, and then there's the Roman soldiers right there, and they're facing off with each other, and it's very tense. But you need to know, I think that we're mistaken in that and the pictures that have happened there. It's not really Roman soldiers, I believe, at all that have come here that actually what you had was you had this corrupt family that, that was in charge of the temple, that what they would call the chief priests at the time. There was the family of Annas and Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who ruled the temple at that time. They were corrupt and they were powerful to the point where one of the things that they did was they gathered their own soldiers. They had temple guards. These were the people that came. Jesus' own people with their soldiers that came to them. And it wasn't just that they were standing there squaring off because you had Jesus who stepped out towards them at some point as the rest stayed back. He stepped out towards them to say, who are you looking for and who do you want? And then, of course, you got Peter. Peter who decides to act. I want you to know that a lot of times we mentioned Peter and we use that wonderful southern phrase, Peter, bless his heart which means he messes up, right? I think there's going to be a lot of us in a line, those of us that have preached the word and taught for a long time, maybe when we get to, ke- to heaven to come to Peter and apologize. Because I want you to know I relate to him so much. I relate to him so much. And I think John has used him on purpose through so much of this so that we can understand what we're like, not just what Peter's like, but we can understand what we're like. Peter who it seems always wants to do what Jesus wants, plus some. And that's what oftentimes gets him in trouble. You know, the other Gospels don't even mention Peter by name. They just say one of the disciples did this. John's got to mention him by name. It was Peter. I know the other one said, hey, somebody drew a sword, cut off an ear. It was Peter. I'll just tell you, it was Peter. You know, in the same way I think he told him that I beat him in the race to the tomb later, he has to mention Peter's the one who pulled out the knife and that did that. Peter always wanting to do what Jesus asks, and more. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, just earlier, as we talked about in John 13, Peter was the one who said, I'll fight 
and I'll die for you. While the rest of them may run, and while some may betray, I'll fight and I'll die for you. John 13, 37 and 38, this is what Peter said. said, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And, you know, we tend to go with this, and we tend to go, and that's right, that's what Peter did. Peter denied him three times. He's a coward. But we forget that what happened was Peter said, I will fight and die for you. And when they came, and it's battle time, and they're coming to take Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He decided to fight, and he was ready to die. This is overwhelming odds. He was set for death if he continued this battle. And you need to know, too, I know there's been a lot of speculation about how uh, Peter probably did this, this idea that he would come to a, a servant and he would cut off his ear. And there's been all kinds of speculations. How do, you, how do you draw a sword and cut off a man's ear without killing him? You know, if you try and come straight down, you'd cut through him. Some people have said he was obviously trying to cut his head off and the guy ducked this way and it cut his ear off. You know, I heard recently a, uh, a rabbi talk about this, a messianic rabbi, and his feeling was that it was much more brutal than we think. He said, odds are probably what happened was Peter jumped on the man, wrapped him up from behind and began to saw his ear off. The idea of saying, you haven't heard the words, really brings new meaning to the idea of those with ears, let them hear. Right? And what you have is Peter in this moment in this promise, fulfilling the promise, I will fight and die for you to go, I'm ready to do it. And so in this brutal attack, he jumps on one of the servants and begins to possibly saw his ear off. No matter how you look at this, the fact is Peter was doing exactly what he promised to do. He's no coward. He jumped right in there to do that. I don't know if maybe Peter was remembering another garden battle, that maybe that's what caused him to move, that he found himself in this garden and this battle that's happening, and it made him think of the scriptures that he probably knew really well from the very beginning when Adam and Eve were deceived by the evil one, and they ate of the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You remember that quote from there? Peter would have known it. He would have known the quote from his father. Genesis 3.15, this is what his heavenly father said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He'll crush your head and you will strike his heel. I just wonder if Peter grabbed onto that and said, I know this scripture. I know what happens. It's head crushing time. The Messiah is the one who's supposed to come to fulfill this scripture. And here we are at this time. Battle has begun and he's attacking my savior. And so it's head crushing time. And I'm in. I'm on it. And he jumps all over him. I'll tell you another one to go look at. I'm not going to go through it today because we don't have time for it. But if you want to make a note there in your journal, in your John journal, look up 2 Samuel 15, chapter 15, and you'll see another story that maybe came to Peter's mind. It's the story of when King David and his son Absalom came and drove him from Jerusalem out of the palace, out of his kingdom, and he drove him out of there, and it talks about how David passed over the Kidron, and he went up to the Mount of Olives, 
And up there, there was weeping because his kingdom had come to an end. And not only that, but his most trusted advisor had turned on him. Betrayal, denial. King David, right here on the Mount of Olives, right where we are. I don't know if Peter maybe thought of that too, but going, that's what I know about these battles that happen. Here we are in this place, and it's time for me to go. It's go time. And so he draws his sword, and he goes to work. No matter what, I think, in Peter's mind, he sees the weight of what's happening right here. Jesus needs me, and so I'm ready to defend him. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to jump in. And then Jesus immediately tells him, put the sword away. you got to put that down. That's not what we're here for. Instead, what we remember more about Peter, I know, after that, is that not long after this, he's going to deny Jesus three times. And so, so often what we do is we look at Peter and go, what a coward he was. And I think we miss out a lot. Here is what happened in John 18 later, 15 verses 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and they were warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Then we jump to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. So often we look at that and we think of what a coward Peter was. But man, I got to tell you, I got to come to his defense again. The poor guy. Jesus is under attack. Peter's ready to fulfill the oath that, the oath that he made. I will defend you even at my own life's expense. I'm ready to lay down my life. And then when I do, and I step in to fulfill that, you tell me to stop, Jesus. Tell me to put the sword away. Then later, here I am, and again, I'd like to mention, Peter followed. While the rest ran, Peter, and it appears John, the other disciple, followed right into the belly of the beast right into the courtyard of the ones that could kill him, and he's standing with the soldiers, and he's right there in the middle of all of this when one of them looks at him and says, you're one of the guys, right? Aren't you with him? And I can only imagine Peter going, I don't know what to do. I drew a sword, and I was told not to. What do I do? Because you think about this, if he had said yes, does battle start again? Is violence the result of that? I can imagine Peter going, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. So he denies it. It's that fight or flight, right, that you think about. It's a scientific natural phenomenon that happens with us when we're being attacked or we're in danger or when we're afraid. He says that one of the things that happens is we have this fight or flight response that comes to us. Either we fight or we run away. Peter had tried fighting. Jesus said, stop it. So maybe now the thing to do is run away? I don't know. I can feel for Peter being lost at what's going on. 
not knowing exactly how to respond. What would Jesus have me do? I don't know. And so he denies. I don't know if you've been there, but I've had that same feeling, that fight or flight response that's come. I've been in places before where I hear people attack Jesus, attack the name of God, the holy name of God. And to see people dismiss it, use it as a curse, use it as a joke. I've felt my blood pressure rise, heat that comes up in my ears, anger rise up. This idea that maybe this battle's mine and I'm supposed to jump in here. This is the time where my God's under attack and I'm supposed to react in some way. I'm supposed to draw the sword. I'm supposed to go to battle. The Lord needs me to defend him. Isn't it crazy the idea that Peter would believe all of who Jesus was, miracle after miracle, and still think he needs my help in what's going on here? And we do the same thing. So often, in a time where it seems like more and more of our culture can turn against God, we feel more and more this anxiety, this fear, and our first reaction can be, draw the sword, man. It's battle time. This is what the Lord told us about. There would come a time where maybe we'd be against culture. Culture would be against us. And what we need to do is we need to draw a sword. And I think we ought to be able to hear the clear, quiet voice of Jesus going, put the sword away. That's not how I'm going to do this. It's not what's happening here. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest things I think comes from this song that we sang, this is not your battle, Peter. This is not your fight to fight. This has to happen the way that it is. And then so often, too, I found myself in another place where I didn't know what to do. If I don't fight back, what do I do? Maybe I just stay quiet. Deny through silence. Don't let anybody know. It's hard to know what to do. I feel for Peter going, well, I'm not supposed to fight. I'm not supposed to be quiet. I did the fight or flight, and they were both wrong. What are we supposed to do with this? And then there's this one verse. There's one thing that seemed to matter in this. And that was when Jesus said the words that he did in verse 6. When they came and they said, they came to him and they, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And his words, I am, you need to know are powerful words. This is Jesus claiming who he was. And you know, it's, it's really interesting because it says that Judas was standing there with them. And I think that that means he was standing with the soldiers and the leaders that came. But it does say that they drew back and they fell to the ground. There was power in what Jesus said. There was power in who Jesus was. He's the only one that could cause people to take a step back and to fall to their face. So when Jesus said, put away his sword, and Peter wasn't sure what to do, it's because the battle was not Peter's. It seemed that he had this, and I know we do too. So much is hanging on how I respond. So much is hanging on what I do. Whether or not Jesus will be defended, whether or not God will have his due, depends on the way that I react to this. And I think more than anything, what you had was Jesus saying, this is not your battle, this is mine. Peter going, look, I'll stand up and I'll fight. And Jesus going, that's not what I want you to do. And Peter going, I'll die for you. And Jesus going, you're not the one who has to die. I'm not asking you to do that. Peter again going, I'll jump in. I'll defend you. 
Jesus going, that's not what I want. And the reason is because we get so confused. We can get so confused about who the enemy is, who the hero is, and what the battle is. It can be very difficult for us. Instead, we start thinking about what God wants and needs from me to defend his kingdom. And that's not the way that God operates. We get it confused so often. You know, it's, it, you start thinking about it. There's all these battles that happened in gardens. You find yourself in this garden of Gethsemane and this battle that's going on. But there's a lot of battles in gardens that happen in Scripture. Like I said, you go back to the Garden of Eden where that battle happened. And it's important to remember that that wasn't God against Adam and Eve, even though they were the ones who were deceived and they were the ones that sinned. They are not the enemy and they are also not the hero. Then you have now the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus saying, it's not me versus these people that have come after me. They're not the enemy and you're not the hero. Mistaken about what the battle is. And then there's another garden that's going to come up and another battle that happens. It's going to happen pretty soon after the death of Jesus. If you look at John 19, 41, we went over this when it was Easter, and we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. John 19, 41. Now the place where he was crucified, this is Jesus, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb which no one had been laid. And then in John 20, 15, and 16, when Mary came, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? These words again. Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Another battle in a garden. The one that really does matter. And in this one, it's clear. It's Jesus versus sin and death. That's who the enemy is. That's the battle. Peter can't take care of that battle, and he wasn't asked to. No one can take care of that battle and was asked to. You can't take care of that battle. That is for the lamb and the lion. That is for the Savior. I love, again, that it's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says the same words that he said to those who came for him in the garden there in Gethsemane. Who are you seeking? Mary, who are you seeking? Who are you looking for? Looking for the one who can win the battle. We get confused with the lion and the lamb. That idea of that's who Jesus is, is that he's lion and lamb, we love. I do too. I love the idea about Jesus being lion and lamb. But I think sometimes we get confused as to what they are because we think of the lion always being in attack and the lamb always being submissive. And the thing with Jesus is his lamb is all about power and his lion is all about gentleness. He turns everything upside down. The lamb's about power because what he does, and in this moment when they draw back and they fall down, is for him to go, you need to understand, I'm the sacrificial lamb, but nobody takes my life. Nobody. I lay it down of my own free will. There's where my power is. No one will take my life. I will give it up freely. That's the power in the lamb. And the lion is all about power under control. Gentleness that he shows us. The lion is not pointed at those who have acted as the enemy to him. He doesn't point the lion 
towards those and go, get them. Instead, what he does is go, the lion, power under control, pointed at the real enemy, sin and death. And what he does is he saves us from wrath of the lion in any way. And instead, that's pointed at the real enemy, which is sin and death. John 18.36, this is just a little while after that, when he goes and he talks to Pilate, one of the things that Pilate asks him about is about whether or not you're a king and how your kingdom works. And Pilate's got this idea that all kingdoms work the same. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Again, you have Jesus turning everything on its head. He said, listen, if I looked at power and if I looked at kingdom and if I looked at being a king the same way that you did, then my people would have fought. They would have picked up the sword. I would have told them to. And they would have been victorious because I would have been on their side. That's not what I'm doing. Instead, what I've got is a spiritual kingdom that I'm building. And it's an entirely different thing. It changes the role of lion, and it changes the, the role of lamb. It's not based on conquering in violence or in force. It's not about how many people we can gather together, even the way that we vote to gather together to force change in some ways. It's certainly not about how harsh and critical we can pick up the, the uh, media-type sword on things online. It's not about that. This is Jesus going, the battle belongs to me. This is not yours to win. You cannot. I do this. It's in the name of Jesus. When he said, I am, that's the thing that caused people to take a step back. It's in us pointing to Christ. It's in us remembering this is not a battle that we're supposed to fight and win. This is about us pointing towards Christ. This is about us making sure that people see more than anything the face of Jesus in everything they do. we got to remember to put our sword away. That is not the way of Christ. Peter had such a difficult time seeing this and going, your king, your savior, this is not the way that it's supposed to go down. This is not the way that you win a battle. And you have our savior going, this is the only way for me to win this battle. Lion and lamb. What I'd like to ask you to do, if you would, is here in just a second, we're going to pray. And we need to spend some time praying to the Lord, reflecting on the Lord, remembering whose battle it is. And sometimes that's very difficult with what you've got going on in your life. You may have something right now that you're facing. You're going through a difficult time. It may be an illness. It may be uh, relationships that are having a problem. You may feel under attack. But I want you to be able to hear the whisper of your Savior that goes, put the sword away. You point towards me. You remember the battle's mine. I'm the only one that overcomes these enemies. I'm the only one who has the ability to win this battle, and I do this in my way, in lion and lamb. If you would, stand with me. I'm going to close this out in prayer, and then we'll have a couple of songs. You can go and pray with one another, spend some time in prayer with God, pray with some elders or some ministers that are around here. But we want to be able to reflect on this and remember whose battle this is. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you uh, that we have to remember it is not up to us to win these battles. That you don't need us 
to defend you in this world. You have already conquered the things of this world. Sin and death has been overcome. Our battle is not against those things. It's not against people of this world. It is against the spiritual enemies. And Lord, we have the winner already in our corner. Lord, we thank you that you have given the ultimate sacrifice, that you've overcome sin and death for us to be reborn. We're thankful for new uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who come here today who have let you fight that battle for them. We're thankful that we have that opportunity. We know you have fought the battle for us and that we are saved now, that we belong to you. Lord, we ask if there's anyone here who needs prayers that they will come and they will uh, find the comfort and the redemption that comes from uh, finding you and belonging to you. If there are those who need to belong to you, Lord, let them come and find us and we will talk to them about what it means uh, to have their life turned over to you. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have won the battle for us. We thank you that that is not a burden that we must bear. Lord, we thank you most of all for your grace and your mercy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.